Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. All right, at this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our three and five-year-olds and six to seven-year-olds can head out to their class. And for everyone else, if you got your Bible, go ahead and grab those, open them up to Jonah chapter four. Uh, We are actually going to be wrapping up our series in the book of Jonah uh, this morning. And so it's been a good uh, seven weeks as we've been walking through it. And as we come to the end of this book, uh, I I can't get out of my mind one of the lyrics and the songs that we were just singing, um, though our sins are many, his mercy is more. And and I feel like that's really just kind of been an ongoing theme throughout this book, uh, especially highlighting in just this this rebellious prophet, Jonah. Though his sins are many, God's mercy is more. God's pursuit of him is more. God's graciousness towards him is more. And we even see that not in the life of Jonah, but we also see that in the life of the Ninevites. Though their sins are many, God's mercy is more. And, and again, as we kind of come to the close of this book, I'm really hoping that that's just kind of the anthem for our lives as we, as we move on from this book, is that we just remember that, that not only are we like Jonah, but we're also like the Ninevites. I mean, we're, just, we're all sinners, and, and we all understand that. We all come to an understanding of that. And God is constantly pushing towards us, and He's appointing things to happen in our lives, both that are positive and negative, in order for us to come to the ends of ourselves, to be able to begin seeing Him and seeing Him clearly and rightly, to be able to repent of our sins, to be able to confess our sins, to be able to come to Him in our discomfort of the circumstances that both we've created or that God maybe even sent uh, in order to bring us to Him, to experience Him in His fullness and to experience His love and His comfort and His grace and His mercy. And so again, I know for me this has been just a good Um, a good time walking through this, and I hope it has been for you as well, even though it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable at times, and God has to do things sometimes to kind of shake us out of our discomfort to be able to get to His grace and His mercy. And again, we're going to see that today as we close this out where uh, Jonah is, is just unrelenting in his rebellion and unrelenting in his complaining and his discomfort and not not just wallowing in his sin all right he's just wallowing in his sin and so it's going to be an interesting one as we close it out today because the book really doesn't close Um, there's no like wonderful conclusion to this at the end and so we'll just kind of um, see what happens when we get there uh, because also this happened to me uh, on Friday I believe on Friday I was opening up the sermon and something happened to where I deleted it and could not retrieve it. Um, and so had it wrapped up, closed up, and, uh, and then literally the only thing I could recover was the introduction um, in like the revision history. So no idea what happened there. Uh, so anyways, I, I showed up early this morning and tried to recall as much as I could and uh, frantically wrote it all down. So we'll see what happens. But let's just open up God's word and we're going to read it and we're going to roll with it. Lord willing. We're going to be in verse 5, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 11, closing it out here. Jonah went out of the city 
and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over, up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, two things I want you to see here uh, just in these two verses and, and, and kind of the way that I titled this point is just different shades of comfort, um, different shades of comfort. And there, there's an idea here where Jonah believes that he's building and constructing something for his own comfort, which at the end of the day, we're going to see is inadequate. And any time that we try to construct something for ourselves to provide ourselves comfort, and in this case, especially when it has to do with sin that we're walking in, it's never going to be comfortable. It's never actually going to execute the very thing that we want it to do. And so what Jonah is doing here is if you've followed along with the story, Jonah, the whole point of the book is Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh to fulfill the calling of God on his life, to go and preach to these sinners in Nineveh and to share the gospel with them, to share the good news of, of God being their creator and wants to be in relationship with them and wants them to repent of their sins and come into a relationship with God. Jonah doesn't want that because he doesn't like the Ninevites. All right, He hates them. He does not want them to be blessed and to become into the family of God. So he tries to go the other route and goes to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. And God, as we see in, in, in chapter 1, appoints things to happen to get Jonah back to where God wants him to be. All right, He wants him in Nineveh, in the great city, and he wants him preaching the gospel there. Jonah, leaving and fleeing, God appoints a great storm. God appoints the lot to fall on Jonah when the sailors are casting it to try to figure out who is the reason for this storm. God then appoints a great fish to swallow him up and to then literally vomit him out on the shore where Nineveh is over by and literally just says, you are going to go and do what I have called you to do. Jonah doesn't want to do it. And so then as we see in chapter 3, he actually does go. I mean, he, he repents in, in, in chapter 2. He prays in the belly of the fish. He prays to the Lord. He prays a, a theologically rich prayer. He repents. He goes to Nineveh, but yet he still does the bare minimum. He does the bare minimum. Literally eight words is all we get. He, he shares eight words with a Ninevite. And God uses that to literally save the city. They repent. They, uh, they, they confess their sins. And they turn to God away from their sins. Well, Jonah in this moment, and as we've seen throughout all of Scripture is usually when those who are servants of God go out to preach and proclaim God's word, when people repent and are saved, those servants rejoice with them. I mean, they throw a party. They celebrate that a sinner came to know the Lord. Jonah here does not do that. Jonah is not excited about the fact that the Ninevites become, uh, become Christians, if you will, in the greater story of everything going on. He is not happy about that. And that's what we saw last week. He was frustrated. It displeased him that the Lord would actually do this. So what Jonah does now is he literally leaves the city. As they're celebrating, as they're worshiping, he leaves the city and he goes outside of the city and he creates this makeshift booth. 
All right? And, and, and the way that they would describe that in this current context would be something similar to like if your three-year-old tried to build a tent or a fort you know, by themselves in their room with some sticks and a sheet. All right? like that's what he's trying to construct here is literally what you would see in a marketplace that's got poles and, and a sheet over top of it. Now, Jonah doesn't have a ton of supplies, all right? He, he didn't get to check two bags on the Great Fish Express, like, as he was heading out. Like, he, he doesn't have a ton of supplies, so he's just grabbing whatever he can find outside of this city and trying to construct something that is going to provide him some comfort so he can do this one thing, so that he can wait and see what would become of the city. I'm just, I'm just going to wait and see what would become of the city. Like, there's a little bit of, of still resentment here, where Jonah's maybe saying, is God going to regret what he's just done for the city? Or maybe the Ninevites are going to recant what they just believed in, and, and, God, and Jonah's going to sit back and say, see? See, I told you, God. Like, they're, they're not a people worthy of your blessing. They're not a people worthy of your grace and mercy. I'm just going to sit back and watch this whole thing implode, and I'm going to be in my own comfort zone watching it from afar. I'm not going to be in the middle of this when it goes bad for you, Lord. So Jonah is outside of the city, and he kind of tries to build his own comfort here. And the reality is, is again, our comfort is never adequate. Our comfort is never adequate, especially when our comfort is sin. Like Jonah is sinning right now. He is still sinning right now. Believing that what he's constructing here is actually providing comfort. But what the Lord does is the Lord comes in and steps in. And he actually provides something for Jonah that helps him. He provides something that helps him. Now, before I get to that, I want us to kind of look at something here. This idea of, of, of seeing what's going to happen. Or this mentality of I'm just going to wait and see, I, I serve on um, a, a church planting team that's in the city uh, that's a part of one of our networks with Send Network. All right, so our church is in four different church planting networks. We're kind of like an indie car. We've got multiple stickers, uh, sponsors attached to us to, to help us as a church. And on one of these teams, I'll just be honest with you, it's been a train wreck since we've planted. All right, like when we, when we planted, there were 16 other churches planted at the same time. And through, again, like just so many different things that have happened. Of those 16 churches that are planted, there's only two churches left. So, so again, this is in, in our five years, six years that we've been here as a church. 16 the same year, all right? 2016, that year, 16 churches planted. And there's only two of us left, all right? That, that should be both encouraging and terrifying at the same time. Like, what, what's, what's going on? But one of the things that we've seen is since that year, there, there have not been any other churches planted. Like literally in the last three years with tons of, of monetary resources at our disposal, as far as within the network, there have been no churches planted. Now some of that is because of the leadership that's been in place, but some of that is also because of the churches that are left and the churches that did exist even before that, they're kind of in this idea of, you know what, we, we haven't really agreed with leadership that's been in place. We haven't agreed with things that have been done. So we're just going to wait and see. 
We're just going to wait and see. And there's new leadership now on the table that have been meeting with me, that have been meeting with some of the other planters who are trying to pull a plan together on how we can collaborate together as churches to pour into new planters who are coming into the city. Like there's a great plan now. and There's a great vision for more churches to be planted in the city. But the churches that we need on board to be able to see this done in an efficient way are sitting back and are just saying, we're just going to wait and see. And I'll tell you, nothing will change with that mindset. Nothing will change with that mindset. Like, like, no churches will be planted with that mindset. And if there are churches that are planted, those churches are going to struggle if there's not a collaborative effort coming together to see things happen. Now, to bring that down, because for you, you might be like, well, okay, that's, that's great, but that doesn't really impact me directly because... Well, it's other churches. The body of Christ. Our church. Full of members. If there are things that go on within our church that frustrate us or that upset us or whatever it might look like. If we begin to act like Jonah. And we go outside of the city and we set up our shop and we get under what we think is our comfort level. And we begin to say we're just going to wait and see what happens. That does not help. Our church. It does not help our body. It does not help our unity. It does not help us to spur one another on and encourage one another. It helps no one to do as Jonah is doing here. No one. And he thinks it is helping him. He thinks it is helping him. And so what God does here is God actually then appoints a plant. God does what he did in, in, in chapter 1. He begins to appoint things to happen. And what he's about to do is, again, he's just going to show Jonah that he's God. That he's the one that's in charge. That he's the one that's in control. And he's going to do this. And so what we see here is that God then appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. That it might, not, that it might be a shade over his head. What that tells us there is that whatever this makeshift shelter that Jonah created was not providing him the shade that he was hoping it was providing. Because God had to then provide a plant to come up over Jonah and actually give him some shade. So what we see here is that, again, what Jonah is trying to construct to comfort himself is inadequate. What we try to construct to comfort ourselves is inadequate. And God does a grace here by appointing a plant to actually come up and provide him comfort, provide him shade in his discomfort and to save him from his discomfort. One of the things that God is doing in our lives every single day is saving us from our discomfort, but really what he's doing is saving us from ourselves. Simply put, he's saving us from ourselves. That is the greatest grace of God to you. It's not Christianity is not God saving you from your enemies. It's not God saving you from the sin that's out there. It's God saving you from the sin that's in here. That's in here. Like no one sends you to hell. Your sin is what sends you there. Your sin is what's destroying you and causing discomfort in your life. In your life. It's what's causing decay in your soul. When you feel unwell, it's your sin. Now, do people sin against you and it doesn't feel great? Absolutely, that happens. 
Absolutely that happens. But ultimately, the way you respond in that can have more issues within your life than what their sin is actually causing towards you. The Ninevites have sinned against Jonah and Israel. They've sinned against them. Jonah hates that. Jonah does not like them for that. But Jonah's sin right now in disobeying God, in disbelieving God's goodness and grace, and choosing to sit outside of it, causes him more discomfort than what the Ninevites have ever done to Jonah himself. That's just true. And we need to know that and we need to believe that, church. We need to believe that. So God sends this plant and makes it come up over Jonah that it might shade him over his head to save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah's happy. All right, he, he finally got what he wanted, which was comfort, which was just relief. And then God does something that we might find humorous here. I got to find it because I'm obviously off the rails here. Verse 7, here we go. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. So God here is again doing the very same thing that he did in chapter 1. Jonah rebels and is fleeing Tarshish. Now Jonah is rebelling from Nineveh and fleeing it to go outside of the city. Outside of God's will. Outside of God's joy. Outside of God's rejoicing over people who have come to know him. And while he's out there, he's trying to provide some comfort for himself. Similar to like when he was in uh, the belly of the boat and he was trying to look for comfort and he's just sleeping. Sleeping on the job. He's trying to do the same thing here and God again is not going to have it. So I'm going to appoint not only a plant, but I'm also going to appoint a worm that's going to come in and kill the plant. After the plant is dead and the shade goes away, I'm then going to appoint a scorching east wind that's going to come in so that the sun literally is not only beating down on him, but it feels like he's got just a heater turned on that's blasting right towards him. Like God is going to, if you think, Jonah, your discomfort in your soul is an issue, I'm going to make sure that your circumstances are creating a ton of discomfort right now because what I'm trying to do, Jonah, is I'm trying to make you aware of yourself. I'm trying to make you aware of yourself because what sin does is sin makes you unaware of yourself. Sin makes you frustrated and sin just makes you dumb. Like, really, sin just makes you dumb. I mean, remember our first parents, Adam and Eve. What did they do after they sinned? They tried to hide from God in His creation that He created. Like, how do you do that? 
You can't. You cannot hide from God, but they believed that they could hide from Him, that He wouldn't find them. Jonah, in his dumbness, felt as if, as if he could leave God, as if he could flee from the face of the Lord, as if he could go somewhere that God was not. Sin just makes you dumb. And what God's doing here is God is showing up in this story, in this life of Jonah, in his discomfort, and is making him more discomfortable. Is that a word? Uncomfortable. So that he would begin, just like he did in the belly of the fish, so that he would begin to become aware of not only his surroundings, but his soul. But his soul. And that's why the Lord begins to ask these questions. Like, do you do well, Jonah, to be angry? Jonah might very well be the worst navel gazer that I've ever seen. And again, the most unaware person that I've ever seen. Jonah can't help in his anger constantly pour it out. Like here, he's, he's angry with the plant. All right, at first he was angry with, with the Lord and what the Lord is doing. And now he's angry with the plant because, again, that's where he was putting his hope. That's where he was putting his comfort was in this plant. That, again, the Lord begins to ask these questions. Did, did you do anything to make the plant grow? Absolutely not. You, Jonah, you've literally... Throughout this entire time, have been nothing but disobedient. And yet, the Lord, in his faithfulness, is constantly pursuing Jonah in his disobedience to discipline him. To discipline him. Because what Jonah is doing, and, and really just acting like a toddler here, what Jonah is doing is choosing. To live out the course of this moment in his life by robbing himself of just experiencing joy. Like, for whatever reason, he's okay with that. He's robbing himself of joy. And he actually, like, when the Lord asked, Do you do well to be angry? And he responds, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Like, we've got to do something with that. We've got to process that in a certain way. Because this is, this is actually not Jonah, like, signing off on his suicide note. Like, that's not where he's at. What, what Jonah is, what's happening to Jonah right now, and I believe this happens to us often, whether you believe it or not. Jonah is having an existential crisis where he is warring with his flesh and his sinful nature while at the same time understanding the Spirit of God that dwells within him. Because there are two things going on here. In his flesh and in his sinful nature, he hates the Ninevites. Hates them. Does not want anything good to happen to them. And he's still warring with that. He's still dealing with that. And this is good for us to understand because what that tells us is, is that in our already not yet. And what I mean by that is 
there's a moment in your life where you've been saved. But that in the moment did not change every single affection that you have. In that moment, it did not flip a switch. And all of a sudden now you love everything that is about God. And you hate everything that is not from God. Because if that were the true case, then we would choose not to sin every single day. And we would choose to worship God in all things. If perfectly we loved everything about God and we hated everything about this world. Now obviously that's what scripture tells us to do. Love God and hate everything in this world. Pursue that lifestyle. But that's what sanctification is, is it's helping us see more of Jesus in our lives and what Jesus loves. And so that we can then also see all the things that Jesus hates. And we can then begin to be molded and transformed into those things so that we begin to walk in step with the Spirit. So that at the moment that you're saved is not your most mature state in Jesus Christ. It is actually probably you looking like a toddler. And that from that moment on, the more that you know Jesus and abide in Christ, the more that you become like Christ, the more that you actually mature as you get older, as you get more wiser in the Scriptures, regardless of physical age, but as you spiritually mature and spiritually age, you begin to think like Jesus, you begin to feel like Jesus, you begin to talk like Jesus, you begin to share the gospel like Jesus, you begin to literally have Jesus worked out in your daily life. And as that happens, you begin to hate more and more and more the sin that still dwells within you. That's why Paul, when he's talking in Corinthians, is literally wrestling. He's like, the thing that I hate, I continue to do. The thing that I love, I don't do. Why? He's working out his salvation. He's working out this new existential crisis that he's dealing with. He's working out the fact that there's still sin in him, but yet there's also this Savior in him that provides for him the ability to wrestle these things and to be able to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. So that he says there's moments where we are able to transform and grow from one degree of glory to the next. We're able to move on from milk to meat. We're able to mature. And here Jonah is struggling with this idea. He's struggling. And in his theology, he knows that when he dies, he gets to go to glory. And he no longer has to worry about this issue anymore. So for him in this moment, when, Lord, when, when God's asking him the question, do you do well to be angry? He says, you know what? You know what would actually be well for me is just to not have to deal with this, die, go on to glory, and I'm perfect. I don't have to work out this nationalism, this ethnocentrism, this racism, whatever you want to call it. I don't have to work out this being transformed so that I eventually love the Ninevites and I rejoice with the Ninevites. He's in his soul right now. He's warring with that and doesn't want to do that. So it's better for him to die and go on to be in glory. That's not anti-Bible. That's not anti-Scripture. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. When he's dealing with his thorn in the flesh and when he's dealing with his own sin and when he's dealing with just his daily pressures... The Lord asks him a question, like, do you do well? And he basically says, it would be better for me to go to heaven and be with the Lord than it is for me to be here. But he then also says, for your sake, the church, for your sake, the people, 
it is better for me to stay because there's more work to be done in spreading and sharing the gospel so that more people get to know Jesus. And for the, for the joy of you and for me, it's better for me to remain and later get to glory and then be perfected and experience all that is to happen there. Like, that's the mature response when it comes to understanding the existential crisis. Like, this is why I've got a friend um, who planted a church on the southeast side of the city, Refuge Bible Church. Uh, We're in partnership with them as well. And as we're in partnership with them, like, this is a family who had five kids, and one of their kids, right about the time when he was two years old, drowned in a pool and died. Terrible, terrible. This happened about three years ago. And constantly, I see Jason post on social media, Come, Lord Jesus, come. What he's essentially saying is it's either better for us to die or the Lord to return right now than to continue living. But I know what he's saying. Because what he's saying there is it's, it's better for me to not have to deal with any sin and to go be with the Lord. That is better. But at the same time, because I've had conversations with Jason, He's also in the same breath able to say, but it's also still good to live each day because there is joy to be had. There is joy to be had. Even in the darkness, even in the discomfort, there is joy to be had. And that's why I believe God is asking this question to Jonah. Jonah, are you well in your sin? And I think that's a question for all of us. Like, and, and, and I know you can already answer it. When, when you're pouting, when you're um, running from God, when you're choosing not to abide in Christ, when you're choosing to not participate, like it's, we war with this every week. And I don't want to pretend anything, guys. Like, participating in the body of Christ can be a discomfort, is it not? I mean, you know it. Every single week when your community group night rolls around, you're thinking, man, there's so many things I could get done tonight if I don't go. Right? I'm just tired. It's been a long day. Kids are being terrible. And in those moments when we choose to give ourselves over to that, we then rob ourselves of the joy of being in community so that we can then be spurred on to see Jesus, to love Jesus, to know Jesus, and to be encouraged. Because in reality, if we're so busy and so tied up and so exhausted from what's going on in our lives, then maybe we need community to help us abide in Christ. And maybe the very thing that we need is to commit ourselves to doing something that we may not want to do in the moment. What Jonah needs most right now is to commit himself to what he does not want to do. And that is to go rejoice with the Ninevites. Because if he were to do that, God wouldn't have to ask him, do you do well to be angry? Because in his rejoicing with the Ninevites, he would actually be well, because just like what we see with the Apostle Paul, what makes Paul's joy complete is not all of his discomfort being uh, uh, taken away. What makes his joy complete 
is that in the midst of his discomfort, he is seeing sinners become saints. He is seeing the joy of others come to know Jesus, come to love Jesus, come to treasure Jesus. And as he is seeing that, he is welling up with joy because he is knowing that there is someone who is now no longer experiencing eternal life and damnation, but now is going to be able to experience eternal life with Jesus forever and be taken care of forever and to have all glory forever and be able to rule and reign alongside of Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth and to literally just get to play in God's background or, or uh, uh, backyard <laughs> forever. Like that is the greatest joy for a believer. That's the way God set this up. God set this up not for us to do this individually. Not to do this individually. And Jonah's running solo. He's running solo. This is one of the reasons why I believe, as we see in the New Testament, the way God works this out is when he begins sending out his disciples to go and spread the good news, it is never done solo. Never. And the reason why I believe that is, is because there's existential crises that we have. There's moments where we're wallowing in our sin and we need community to come into the mix. We need a Barnabas, who his name means son of encouragement. We need someone to spur us on. You pity the plant. For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God gives this real life illustration for Jonah. You see, he gives Jonah this plant and then the worm comes and eats it and kills the plant. And the plant dies. And Jonah grieves the death of this plant. And what God is doing in the illustration of this plant is he's illustrating his heart for the Ninevites. And, 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 and what I believe, because again, we don't, we don't get to see it. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's the end of the book. What I believe and what I hold on to is that whether it happened there or it eventually happened or maybe it didn't happen and Jonah dies and goes on to glory, it doesn't matter. What actually happens is God reveals his heart. And in revealing of his heart, everything works out. Everything works out. God's teaching Jonah a lesson here that you're pitting this plant that you had nothing to do with. And I'm pitying these people that have had nothing to do with me. And I'm reaching out to them and I'm saving them. Because that's God's heart. You see, for a lot of us, well, all of us, before we came to know Christ, we had nothing to do with God. We wanted nothing to do with God. And I say that even if you're saved at the age of six years old. Whether you were saved at six like, again, if you've ever gone over and, and done the three to five year old class or 
or if you go in the nursery, you'll see that they want nothing to do with God. It's just true. They're sinners, okay? And you're like, not my little angel. No, they're sinners. They're sinners. We're all sinners. We don't want anything to do with God. But God's heart towards us is not the same as ours towards him. God is appointing things to happen in our lives so that we can become aware of his grace and his mercy. We're seeing that in the Ninevites and we're seeing that in Jonah. And it's an opportunity for us to enter into God's appointed means so that we can see his heart and so that his heart begins to change our hearts. Begins to change our hearts. And that's why I love the fact that uh, we highlighted the nations and praying for the nations before the sermon. Because for us, our comfort might be, well, we'll take the gospel to those who are exactly like us. Same chapter of life of us. Same skin color as us. Same socioeconomic status as us. You know, people that we can relate to. Jonah here has no relation to the Ninevites. None. Hostile relationship. My prayer is that we don't have to get to the place where God appoints east winds and storms and great fish and plants. I hope that he doesn't have to do that to get us to see his heart and where his heart is leading us in our city. My prayer is that we can learn by others and see what God is doing and tear down our little makeshift shelters and begin to go back into the city and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Like, do we do well to stay in our sin? Do we do well to be angry? Do we do well to be indifferent? Do we do well to not listen to the call of God on our lives for each one of us? And you don't even have to answer that. You know the answer. You know the answer. And honestly, this isn't, this shouldn't, I mean, it's going to come across as like, oh, now I feel shame, I feel guilt, and I feel, I feel bad about this. That's okay. Like, discipline at times hurts. Like we discipline our children. And sometimes that hurts. But there's joy to be had as you learn and grow and change and mature. There's joy to be had. Do you do well to continue in your makeshift Christianity? Or are you willing to let God move you into His version of Christianity 
that actually provides you comfort. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for this story of Jonah. It is, it is one that, that God, we, we can't run from. And it's one that I hope we don't run from. Lord, I, I, I know, I mean, speaking for myself, I just know there's, there's moments and there's days where I just don't, I just don't want to. I just don't want to. And I'm grateful that you don't let me just wallow in that sin. You don't let me. You continue to appoint people to hold me accountable and to spur me on to love and good deeds and to fulfill the calling that you've placed on my life. And I pray for our people in this church that the very same thing would happen is that when we don't want to, someone will step in and it might hurt. It might be a frustrating conversation. We might want to wait and see what happens. But Lord, I pray that we are faithful to one another to encourage one another and spur one another on because we are actually for our comfort but comfort that's only found in you and you alone, not in anything else. Joy that is found in you and you alone and the work that you are accomplishing every single day in this city. We want to join in that and participate. We don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore. We don't want to sit outside of the city anymore, just waiting and seeing. That does not do well for us. And so we ask, Lord, we ask that you would appoint some things to happen. Appoint some things to happen in our lives that bring us back to you and to your mission. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we come to this time of communion, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And as you stand, if you don't have the elements, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and head back and get those off of the table and, and come back to your seat. As we do this, one of the beauties, again, of this story in Jonah is that it is a, uh, as we call, a type of Christ. A type of Christ. This story does, at the center, embody exactly what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. But as it says in Scripture, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, our Lord Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights that he was actually accomplishing for us our comfort while he was being discomforted. I mean, he went through the ultimate appointed discomfort. I mean, we're talking about like east winds and sun scorching and belly of the fish and so forth. Like none of that actually provided death for Jonah. He maybe felt like he was dying, but he actually didn't die. What was appointed for Jesus was to go to the cross and bear all of our discomfort, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our pain that comes from our sin. He bore it on Himself in ultimate discomfort and displeasure. And God appointed His wrath to be poured out on Jesus. 
Like that's the primary reason why in this moment of Jonah's sin, God doesn't just kill him on the spot. Is because Jesus died for him. Just like Jesus died for you. And he doesn't kill you right now for being mad at me. For preaching what we're preaching. He doesn't kill you because Jesus died for you. He broke his body and he shed his blood for you. So that you would see his grace. So that you would see his mercy. And that you would receive his love and his forgiveness to change you and transform you. Like it's a love of God to not let you stay who you were. But to make you who you are now in him. That is love. And so right now, the, what God has called us to do, as often as we do it, as it says in 1 Corinthians 11, is to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. For it is the fuel that drives all of our comfort, all of our Christianity, all of our joy hinges upon his sacrifice and what he has offered up in his life and his death and his resurrection. So let this be a feast for your soul so that when God asks, do you do well? You're able to say in that moment, I do well by accepting Jesus and what he has done for me and letting Jesus be the very bread and life of my soul. So this is a feast that's not just remembering bread and juice. This is a feast where we are literally partaking of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to fuel us on our daily lives because we are in the already but not yet. And we need fuel. We need to live off of Jesus and Jesus alone. So let this be a feast for your soul to encourage you. Let's worship now as we partake. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at